Yeah. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? I know it's early. Let's try that again. How's everybody doing? Hey, now we're talking. A little better. Okay. Always, always need a do-over on those, especially this time of day. But so good to be here. You know, I've been, uh, I've been in this church here before, but never like during a service. This is like my first time during a service. And I've just thought, man, I can't wait one day if that day will ever come. I've been praying for years and years that Matt would have me up here and actually do something. But it's taking a little bit longer persevering prayer. But I thought, man, it's going to be so awesome because just this view out here is just amazing. You guys don't know, or maybe you do, but I hope you don't take this for granted how blessed you are. Our church back home, and we've got windows along the side, but we don't. I've tried setting up an inflatable pool just outside to get something like that. It's not quite the same. This is pretty amazing. So this is cool. I'm going to hope to stay on focus here with the word and not be looking out, trying to find a whale out there. Like Joel was saying on the ferry, I mean, we literally saw parking in the, the, the dock there. I mean, killer whales. It was just cool. So awesome. What a neat place. No, it doesn't. Come on. It doesn't happen all the time, but that's pretty awesome. Maybe it does. Well, all right. So, um, yeah, that was just a, a fun night last night, a great start to the weekend. And just like I said last night, I, I love the theme of this conference, the Holy Spirit and evangelism. And these things just really do go hand in hand. I think we have to see the importance of, of these two uh, really coexisting, being operational together, the Holy Spirit and evangelism. You're not going to have evangelism without the Holy Spirit. And, and if you've got the Holy Spirit, then evangelism is just, I, I think, simply going to be a byproduct of that. And I think sometimes we really fail to see um, just how these things are so, you know, meshed together. Now, for me, growing up in a, in a, in a Pentecostal church, um, you know, oftentimes I saw the, the Holy Spirit often viewed as some kind of force that would just kind of come and give you some sort of warm and, and, and fuzzy sensation, right? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but that's kind of what people were going for, it seemed, right? It seemed like the Holy Spirit was more about, you know, what it would do for the individual rather than what the individual could do through the Holy Spirit. It was more about just a, a, a personal, you know, blessing in a sense than the individual being a blessing through the Holy Spirit. I think we oftentimes, you know, I oftentimes fail to see the role of the Holy Spirit in simply coming and, and aiding the believer to live out a life that glorified God. I had, I had so backwards oftentimes, and yet what did Jesus come and tell his disciples? Remember, just before Jesus was ready to ascend to the Father, he's gathering his disciples together and and he says, you know what? He says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the, the promise of the Father, Acts 1-4, right? And you know what the promise of the Father was, the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in Acts 1-8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, we oftentimes, we gravitate to the power part. I like that. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit, yes, Give me power, Lord. And we think, power, man, I'm going to do just amazing things. Or we love this idea of what it's going to do for us. But yet, Jesus says, you'll receive power so that you can what? Be witnesses. Be witnesses. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Was to enable these individuals. To, and, and I mean, Jesus, just think about it. Living life with these three guys. I'm sure there's times with the Father. He's going, Lord, really? These guys? You've given me these guys? 
These guys are going to be the ones that are going to impact the world. It wouldn't be in and of themselves. It would be through the Holy Spirit. God knew all along. Jesus knew that it was going to be in them. It was going to be through the Holy Spirit that would be placed in them. Now, that's the importance here of the Holy Spirit to aid us, to equip us, to enable us into evangelism. So we're going to talk about this role uh, of evangelism specifically here today and and the the part that we have to play in that, every single one of us. So let's head to 2 Corinthians 5. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to take some time to look at a passage here that I think lays out for us four important things for us today. Four important things, started, starting in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 to 20. And here's what I think this passage is laying out for us here regarding evangelism. First of all, number one, if you're taking notes, I hope you are, our mandate for evangelism, our mandate for evangelism, then our motive for evangelism, our message in evangelism, and then our, our mission of evangelism. So we've got our, our mandate, our motive, our message, and our mission in evangelism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for this time together, God, just to gather with the saints, with the church, and Lord, I, I thank you so much that you are here with us and you desire to reveal yourself, to teach us, and I thank you for the calling that we all have, God, to live these lives that bring glory to you that are a witness of you. And I pray that you'd remind us of that here today. And as we look at this passage, that there would be things that are just really hitting us close to home personally, that we're able to apply, that we're able to live out, that are able to impact us, Lord, for just a, a, a greater service un, unto you, God, in all that we do. And so that's what we desire here. Bless us, let your spirit just be present and, and, and rest in our own hearts, leading us in your word here today. We pray in your name, Jesus. Everybody said... Amen. So, verse 9, look at what we read there. As we look at our mandate, therefore, Paul says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing. And let me just keep reading a little bit here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. So first of all, our, our mandate for evangelism there in, in verse 9. It's very important for us, I think, to really understand and realize what our purpose is in life. You ever wonder that sometimes? You ever sit there and go, God, what is my, what's really my purpose? What have you called me to do, God? Now, a lot of people have really struggled on that. A lot of people have just sat there laboriously for years even wondering what's what does God have for me what's God's purpose in my life what does he have for me to do but it's really quite simple I think I think we complicate it complicate it very much I think we we agonize over this to the to the point where some people are so paranoid about the will of God like can I wear this color socks today should I wear this jacket or not Lord what's your will and we just agonize sometimes over these things I think it, it can really be quite simple, and I, I think it can be summarized as this. First of all, it's to know God, it's to be known by God, and it's to make God known. I think we can really summarize just our purpose in life, why we're here, why God's created us. It's to know God, it's to be known by God, and it's to make God known. Now, a lot of people claim to know God, that's easy. A lot of people can sit there and say, oh yeah, God, I... I believe in God or I know about God. But the question then becomes, are you known by God? 
Do you, are you known by God? That's what's really important for us to, to, to grasp and to understand. To be known by someone implies that you're in relationship with them, right? We can all sit there and, and, and throw out, you know, people that we know. We like to name drop sometimes, right? You know, we get on the Instagram, we want to get a picture of this person. Woo, look at who I met, look at who I know. Now, we can name drop, we like to do that. We, we like to kind of gravitate to celebrity status sometimes. And we can say, I know this person. But the question is, are you, are you known by that person? Like, can you imagine being out with somebody, you know, a friend, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, they're so-and-so. You say, go say hi to them. And it's like, oh, my goodness, yeah. No, I don't think I know them quite in that way, you know. And they're not going to know who I am. And so we kind of pull back a little bit. But it's about being known by somebody because then that implies you're in relationship with them. It's important that we are not doing this with God, claiming that we know him, and yet not being known by God. Paul even alludes to that in Galatians chapter 4 verse 9 when he says this, but now after you have known God or rather are known by God, he says. He makes a little claim in there. He, he says, but now after you have known God or rather, let me just put it this way, that you are known by God because Paul says that's what's really important. Are you in a relationship with God? Remember Jesus says in that day there be many people coming in, you know, say, depart from me. I never, what, knew you. Are we in relationship with God? Now, we can all look at these first two purposes of man and, and think, no problem, no God, be known by God, check, check, got that under control, I'm good to go, but then we bring in that third part, to make God known. And this is where people really freak out. Oh my goodness, no! Lord, I just like it, you and me, that's it. Knowing God, being known by God, that's good. I don't want to go outside of that little comfort zone I'm in. To make God known, that's going to require me <gasps> talking to people, witnessing, sharing my faith. No, I didn't sign up for that God. But yet as we're seeing in God's word, this is where, where, where we're being directed into. That's a big part of why we're saved in the first place. So that we can make God known. God has redeemed us, not just to shelf us as some trophy and, and, and say, yeah, all right, look at the work I did on these guys. I'm pretty proud of that one right there. That was a lot of work, that guy. Joel, turn up on that show. That was a lot of work on that guy. Pretty good. He doesn't just shelf us as some trophy. He brings us into the game and says, man, now that you're saved, I want to begin to work in you and through you so that you can make me known in this world. I think that's just so amazing. Think about this. That God not just saves us, but he chooses to use us now and work alongside of us. I think, how often do we just bring frustration to the Lord in that process, right? You ever have, you know, young kids that you're doing a job somewhere and those kids come up and they're like, dad, can I help you? Mom, can I take part in helping you? And you're like painting something. You're like, oh man, if I get these guys involved, this is going to create more work for me. You ever feel like that sometimes? I think that's probably how God can think in every situation because God can do the work so much easier, so much quicker, so much better, but he doesn't. He allows us to come alongside him and take part in the work because why? Man, that's when we begin to grow. That's where relationship begins to develop. The amazing thing is that God doesn't just save us and say, okay, now just try to stay out of the way, people. Just let me take care of this. I'll be coming back soon. Just try not to get in trouble. No, he says, man, get in the game with me here. Let's partner together in the work I have for you. 
He wants us being participants here in what he's doing. I think that is so awesome. Like I said last night, salvation is not the end goal. It's the starting point for us. Because when we get saved now, we get launched into ministry as we're going to see. Or we get to work with the Lord, partner with the Lord. Now, what does this work involve? It involves sharing the good news and revealing the glory of God, living in a way where we just are, are, are representing the Lord. Paul's desire is to be well-pleasing to God, he says in verse 9. That's what we make our aim, that we be well-pleasing to God. And this is something God has called us to do, to make God known, to live a life as a witness of him. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit, so that not just you have power, but you have power to be witnesses. And if we ever find something where we go, man, this is what is pleasing to the Lord, then we have to go, man, that's what I want to be involved in. That's what I want to get busy in. Living a life as a witness of the Lord is what is pleasing to the Father. And Paul lays out now, as we move on in verse 10, he lays out for us some of the motivating things for why we should be doing this. I mean, it's motivating enough just to go, well, it's pleasing to the Lord. Okay, I want to be a part of that. But now he moves on to some very motivating things for us, why we should be going out and living a life as a witness of the Lord, taking part in evangelism. Look at verse 10 again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So check this out, guys. We're going to stand before God one day and give an account. Now, now some people, some Christians just get sent right into panic mode over a verse like this, thinking that this is about salvation. They think, I'm going to have to stand before God one day, give it a God, like, and, and, and struggle over this idea, like, am I going to make it in or not? There's a lot of Christians that struggle over this understanding, but, but understand something, just take comfort here. This is not about salvation. We're not talking about the judgment seat of Christ as it pertains to salvation, whether you make it into heaven or not. This is not about sin. This is about service. This judgment seat in verse 10 is about service unto the Lord. Judgment, you see, for our sin was settled 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Taken care of. We're not going to have to give an account for that. That's been covered through the work of Jesus Christ. This here is more about reward for how we've lived and how we've, we, we've used what God has given us in this life. This is about reward. It's about presenting to God, saying, God, here's how I've lived my life for you. The word for judgment here is bema seat. It's where, where athletes were rewarded in the games that they participated in where they would receive their prize. The bema seat. Now we're going to see a similar scene taking place in heaven. I think that is so cool, right? Uh, I mean, I think of the many people that are going to be right up there at the front. I envision this uh, Olympic podium, you know, and you're going to have guys like, you know, Billy Graham and, and Chuck Smith and, you know, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, all the, all these, man, great, great people of faith, all receiving their prize. They're going to be up there on the podium. They're going to have like hundreds of gold medals placed around their neck. And I, I get this, Im this image of me kind of walking up when it's my turn. I get like this paper link chain that, you know, has been made, just placed on my neck. It's like a participation medal, you know, say, like, hey, Brent, you know, you, you did, you did your best, we, we think, you know. There you go. And just kind of walking off like, you know, all these gold medals. I'm like with this paper link chain, right? And of course it's heaven. So everybody's going to be trying to, you know, be consoling. Hey, that's, that's a really amazing looking paper link chain you got, Brad. I'm going to be like, just what? Come on, don't patronize me. I'll be the only one in heaven throwing a hissy fit, you know? And, and it just, this is kind of the idea I get. But listen, I don't want to be that guy, right? 
I don't want to be that guy going up and just getting the participation medal or just say, well, you stayed in the game. Good job. You didn't, you didn't do much, but you stayed in the game. Good job. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that's presenting to the Lord saying, God, I, I, I've used my life for your honor and for your glory. Now, we know we don't do it just for the prize, but, but we do it to honor the Lord in all that we do. I want my life to count. I don't want to just coast along. That's certainly how Paul was living his life, wasn't it? Look at what he says there in Philippians 3, verse 13 to 14. He says, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, man, I'm not thinking about what I've done in the past, what's going on. I'm not going to let those things hinder me. I'm not going to rest on my laurels. I want to keep pressing forward. If there was anybody that could kind of sit back and rest and go, yeah, you know, I've kind of done enough, it would be Paul. But Paul's like, man, I keep moving forward because I want to reach out for that prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He would say in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, do you know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. This is Paul. Well, guys, run in such a way that you may obtain that prize. Don't show up in heaven and be just like, you know, well, and 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 3, talks about, you know, this scene kind of thing where a lot of work we're going to present is just going to be, you know, kind of brought to the fire. And a lot of it's just going to be burnt up because it's stuff that we've been doing for ourselves. And God's like, hey, great work, but poof, Gone, not much to show for it. But what's going to be showing is the stuff that we've done for the Lord. And you might sit here and think, well, you know, what can I be doing for the Lord? We can be living a life that is bringing glory to God, living a life as a witness, because it's that which is going to be rewarded in that day. And this is a great thing, is that we recognize now that all that we do, God sees, and God's going to honor that. Nothing that we do in this life is ever going to be done in vain. When we do it for the Lord. Isn't that great? We, we can think sometimes, well, that person didn't acknowledge me. That person didn't thank me for this work I did. Don't worry about that. Because God sees and God says, Jesus says in, in, in Matthew that, man, I'm going to reward those things that are even done in secret. Where nobody else knew. But God sees and God's going to be the great rewarder for all that we've done. And here's the thing is, God's not looking for the person just that's, won the most for the Lord or has done the most, he's going to reward you based on what he has given you to do. Based on what he's called you to do. Where we can come before him and just say, Lord, I've been faithful in what you've given me. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, well, you know, could have done more. (laughs) Well, you know, you're saved, I guess that's great, you know. No, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's just being faithful with what God's done. It's not about trying to compete and and, and do more. The next person is about being faithful with what God has given you. Live in a way where you're not going to regret anything in that day. I guarantee you, in that day, you'll never regret what you've done for the Lord. But you will greatly regret those things that you didn't do for the Lord. In that day, I think there'll be many people going, man, look at this. Look at this amazing place we're in. How I would have loved to see that person here, this person there. Why didn't I take more time to share with that person? 
We'll never regret what we've done for the Lord by thinking that day. We'll be sorrowful over the things that we didn't do for the Lord. Live in a way where you're going to have no regrets. Live in a way where you're going to be like, man, God, I've been faithful with what you've done and what you've, what you've given me here. Now, Paul brings up another motivating factor for us in the next verse here. It's the, the terror of the Lord. Look at verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Now, that sounds kind of, you know, harsh and negative here, but for the believer, this is not a fear or worry of an angry God because we know that one day we're going to see him and we're going to experience in a greater way this love that he has for us. But for Paul, there was still a sense of awe in that. That he wanted to live with that, that fear and just awe and wonder of God that just continued to motivate him along in service for the Lord. But there's also implication in this for those that don't know the Lord. Paul knows the tragedy that's awaiting all those people that have not responded to God's free gift of salvation. And his desire is this, to persuade them into the truth, to do whatever it takes to see people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to repent and find life in the Lord. Look at what we see in God's word, Hebrews 10, 31. It says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 1 Peter 4, 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? Jude 21 to 23, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, make a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Make a distinction. He says, some have compassion, be gracious. Others, man, you got to come in and be like, man, you are, are dying in your sin and I want to rescue you from that. I want you to experience life in the Lord and pull them out as though you're pulling someone out from the fire. Would we ever come along somebody that's trapped in a house and a fire, you know, a, uh, a fire in the house just kind of walk by and be like, hey, um, I, I, I don't want to offend you, but um, I think your house may be on fire. Do you, do you want me to do anything? Can I... Help or just should I let you, uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said anything, I'm sorry. No, we're not going to be, we're going to be like, right there, you got to get all that house, your house on fire, let me help you, you're, you're going to drag them out if that's what it takes. And yet I think so often we just walk by people that are perishing without a compassion or an urgency. Do we see lost people around us with that kind of urgency like Paul is sharing here? The terror of the Lord, we want to persuade men do we worry about what it's going to be like for those that don't know God when they eventually have to stand before God and, and, and face their sentence? I know that doesn't always rattle me as it should. Man, I need to pray for me to have it. This message is about, uh, more about me than it is about you guys because I'm desiring to have that kind of urgency that I don't always have in those situations. But I pray the Lord would continue to grow me in that. Listen, I'm not trying to commend myself here. Neither, neither is Paul. Look at what he says in verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. I love this. Here's what Paul is saying in, in, in verse 13 especially. That he's willing to look like a fool if it means greater glory for God. If we are beside ourselves... It's for God. 
That's, this is something I don't have a problem with. Looking like a fool. Being a fool. I'm, I'm quite comfortable in this role. That comes very natural, naturally for me. And, and where Paul is saying, we're beside ourselves. He's saying that when we come across as insane or weird, it's for God. He says, I'm willing to do just that if it means people are going to have their eyes open to who the Lord is. And he's in good company because this is exactly what they said of Jesus. Mark chapter 3 verse 21 says, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of Jesus, for they said, He is out of his mind. That's what Paul is saying. That's the same Greek word there when he says we are besides ourselves. He says, If you think we're out of our mind, so be it if it means that you're going to be brought to a greater awareness of who God is. Now, this is often what we say to God when he nudges us to go and, and speak with this person we're sitting beside on the airplane or our coworker or an unsaved family member. We say, Lord, you're out of your mind. I can't do that. They're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm crazy. I got a reputation to behold. This is what we oftentimes go to. We think they're going to think I'm crazy. But here's the question. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Are you willing to be seen as crazy for the Lord? Is that the reason why we don't often evangelize? Because we want to maintain a, a, a certain status or reputation? Because we're trying to protect ourselves? But are you willing to lay it all down and say, God, I'm willing just to be a, a, a freak for you? Are we trying to please men or please God? Are we willing to be a fool for Christ? Now, listen, don't, don't make it easy for people to think that about you. I think sometimes the way that people go and try to evangelize, they're just like, man, you are just looking like a fool. You got to just relax, right? Like, you know, you get somebody trapped in an elevator, like, oh, man, are you washing the blood of the lamb? You know, they're just like freaking out in the corner. They're pushing every button to get off whatever floor they can. Sometimes we just go overboard and we make ourselves out to be weird on our own. Don't make it easy for people to think that. But understand that as we just proclaim Christ, there are going to be people that are going to say, man, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Let it be so. Be crazy for the Lord. Be a fool for Christ. Because we never know what God's going to do and how he's going to change that person. When Dwight L. Moody was ministering at his large Sunday school and church in Chicago, people often called him Crazy Moody. In the eyes of the unsaved world, Moody was crazy because he gave up a successful business career to become a Sunday school worker and evangelist. But look at over time. We don't know any of the people I called him crazy, but we certainly know about D.L. Moody and all the work he did for the Lord. And yet he was called Crazy Moody. I love the example of Paul. He was willing simply to do whatever it took to get the good news out, to present the gospel, to show forth the glory of God, to be pleasing to God. He was willing to do whatever, whatever it took. He says that to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker of it with you. Paul says, I, I, I just go all out, man. I'm going to become all things to all men. If people think I'm crazy, if people think I'm weird, so be it. I'm going to do it for the gospel's sake because I know there's something worth fighting for here. There's something worth being a, a fool for over these things. Verse 14 continues to show what enabled Paul to live a life like that. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Now, it, it wasn't just Paul's love for Christ. 
that was moving him. It was his understanding of Christ's great love for him that continued to compel him, move him along in this work for the Lord that was, that was causing him just to, to, to fight this fight, to run this race, to live tirelessly for Jesus because he understood the great love by which Christ has won him, saved him, and is using him today. That should be a driving force in our service for the Lord. To recognize that he loved us so much that he was willing to die on a cross to redeem us, to save us from the pit. That wasn't just so we could sit back and live a Christian life. He went to the cross for you so that he, he could save you and so that you could live a life now that brings glory to God, that is being well-pleasing to our Father. So Paul recognizes the great love that Christ showed in saving him. And now this love is a driving motivator in his ministry for the Lord. In saying that this love compels him, it also is implying that it was this love of Christ that's really holding him together. So whenever Paul was going through persecution, whenever people were saying, Paul, you're a freak, man. You're out of your mind. When all this persecution, trouble, and trial came his way, he could rest in the love of Christ to know, man, it's all worth it. Every name-calling every stone thrown my way, every shipwreck. It's all worth it because I'm in the love of Christ and it's holding me together. It's the love of Christ that compels me, that keeps me moving forward. We never have reason to quit being a witness or to say, man, it's just too hard because we have the love of Christ to always fall back on and say that whatever we may experience, it's all worth it in comparison to what we have in Christ. Amen? Everybody still with me here today? Is all good? All right. Look at verse 15. Oh, man. This just keeps getting better, guys. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We, we really have to get our minds wrapped around this right here for us. Because we live in a world that wants to make everything about you. Your comfort your enjoyment, your satisfaction. We live in a world where it's just everything's catered about just being comfy and cozy. We get conditioned to think that we're the king or the, the queen of our castle, that we deserve to have the best of everything or we're entitled to be happy. And when something doesn't make us happy, well, then we just kind of walk away and say, ah, it's not for me. That's, that's the way that the world operates. But the question for us is, what are you living for? Are you living for yourself and trying to gain as much comfort from this world or are we seeing that our life is not our own our life is not our own when we comprehend what jesus has done so that we could really have life and there's no life worth living apart from christ but when we comprehend what jesus has done so that we could have life then we recognize that this life only finds worth and joy when it's lived for him he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again. That's what Paul is saying here. Have we had that turnaround in our own mind and thinking to recognize, yeah, my life isn't my own. I've been bought with a price, a precious price. Jesus paid the infinite cost and laid his own life down so that he could redeem us, purchase us, and now bring us into his family. But not only that, bring us into partnership with him in service and ministry for the Lord. Have we had that turnaround, that shift in our mind where we say, yeah, my life is not my own. 
It's his. He died for me so that I could live this life for him. Who are you living for? Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, I now live my life for him. It's no longer I who live. I've died. Have we come to that conclusion ourselves? Have you died to yourself? Because that's one thing that's going to oftentimes hinder us in the work and service and, and evangelism and witness for the Lord is ourselves. Because we don't want to be shamed, criticized, looked at as weird. Those things only register if we're still living for ourselves. Those things only affect us if we're still living for ourselves. You can take a, a dead corpse, I don't recommend it, but you could take a dead corpse, you could poke a stick at that thing, you could kick it, guess what? It's not moving. It's not registering. It's dead. And when we come to that place of dying to self, man, those things don't weigh on us any longer. Nothing, nothing's going to hinder us. Nothing's going to affect us. Nothing's going to bother us. We're just saying, man, my life is his. And this life that I live, I now live for him. So I'm going to use this life for his glory. And I don't think Paul was saying this is a conclusion that he had to come to grips with, like it was a sacrifice. I believe Paul was speaking this with excitement. He was done with life lived his way. He's done that, been there. Not working out so great for him. He's like, man, I don't want to live my life for me any longer. All my life to count, and it's going to count when I live it for him. That we should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died. I don't think Paul was having to do this as a concession, as a sacrifice. He found life lived in and through and for Christ was so much more valuable and worthwhile. Like we said last yesterday, it's just a great adventure when we pardon with the Lord, when we just give ourselves to the Lord. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live this life as a witness for him. And it's a great adventure when we say, man, God, I just, I just want to live this life for you. I want to serve you. Living as a witness for Jesus, sharing the gospel, it, it just shouldn't be a chore for us. If we're not struck with awe over what Jesus has done for us and the calling that he's given us, then we've made too little of Jesus and too much of ourselves. We've made too much of ourselves and too little of Jesus. If we're not just stuck, struck with awe over the fact that Jesus died so that we can now live this life for him, the fact that he's called us to partner with him and minister, be servants, be witnesses of him. Let's get back to the understanding that our lives are not our own. They've been bought with a special price, redeemed to bring glory to God. Therefore, verse 16, for now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And here's the thing with witnessing, guys. We don't have to be choosy, Right? We don't have to sit here and try to pick out the ones that we think we're going to have the most success with. We just, live, we just get to live out the gospel here, right? We get to speak the good news every opportunity we have and to anyone that's got ears to hear. We, we like to try to sound so spiritual, right? We're like, well, I'm just praying whether I should talk to this person about the Lord. And then we're just like, I, I just didn't feel led to share the gospel with this person. I prayed about it. And we, just, we, we try to spiritualize it. We try to make it sound so good. Listen, we don't have to be choosy over these things. We regard no one according to the flesh. 
We don't have to worry about it. So let's just take the gospel to anybody that we can share with. We don't need to worry about the response. We don't need to worry about the results. That's the great thing. It's up to the Lord, isn't it? We're not the one that saves people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We just have to present the gospel. We just need to share the love of Christ with people. And so, Lord, don't you find that so often people are like, man, I just, I, I don't like witnessing because I just don't get a good result. You're not worried about the results. You shouldn't be worried about the results. That's the Lord. Leave that to the Lord. Just be faithful to share the gospel. Be faithful to just you know, communicate the love of Christ with people. You're not always going to get great results. I, we were just, in, <laughs> Joel and I were just going through a drive through uh, at Starbucks this morning, and, you know, coffees are taking a little bit of time, and so we're just chatting with the woman at the, at the drive through window, and, um, you know, just asking our day. And it just, here's the great thing, man. When you just are, are being compelled in the love of Christ, you know, you just, there's this joy in just chatting with people, just opening up conversation with people. You never know where it's going to lead, right? And you just love upon people. And she's just saying, oh, man, we're just having a, just a rough day. And, and we're just joking with her. Hey, you know, we'll come back there and give you a hand if you want. She's just laughing. Oh, yeah, it's great, you know. So just waiting for the coffee. And, and, and then I, I say, and she's got this accent. I say, Joel, what do you think her accent is? She's busy doing something. He's like, oh. And I said, hey, what is your accent? Where are you from? She goes, oh, it's not an accent. It's a speech impediment. I was like, oh, Okay, thank you. Bye bye. We just screeched out of there. I'm just like, that was awkward, right? It's like, you still got a coffee. I'm like, just keep it. I'm out of it, you know. Whatever. It's like, hey, that's super. Um, speech impediment. It's great. So he we said, well, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're unique people. You know, we just try to share the gospel whatever way you can, right? But you don't have to worry about the results, what's going to happen. We just get to love upon people. And awkward as it might be sometimes, man, you don't have to worry about those things. Just open up conversation with people. Just see how the Lord begins to take it. You might have some real winners. You might have some real doozies, that, you know? Yikes. But just keep coming back and just opening up opportunity for the Lord just to minister through you, to speak to people, just to encourage people. People, man, everywhere you go, they're, they're having tough times, bad days. And, and, and we just get to come and just share with people, love upon people, make them laugh a little bit. In this case, she was crying a little bit. It doesn't matter, but... <laughs> Just have some fun with people and you just never know how the Lord's going to lead that. We don't have to worry about these things here, how it's going to work out. Don't get concerned with how you think people are going to respond. Regard no one according to the flesh. We've got something worth sharing and everyone needs to hear it. Everyone needs to hear it. Don't be choosy over those things. So listen, we've got our mandate, be well pleasing to God. We've got our motive. We've got a lot of them. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, give an account uh, we've got the love of Christ that's motivating us, moving us along. We've got the fact that Jesus died so we could live this life for him. We've got a lot of motivating things here for us. Let's look at the message real quick. And I know my time is pretty much gone, but let me move through this quickly. Just a couple more verses here. Verse 17. Here's the message now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the message we get to share with people. This is where it gets good because first of all, we get to share with people that God brings about not only salvation but transformation how many people just want new things today right we always want new things it's it's a new phone or a new car a new nose whatever it is right a new jacket we just want new things all the time right and yet if someone places their their life in christ their faith in jesus then they become brand new. It says the old stuff has passed away. All the garbage, the weight, the sin, it's gone. It's in, it's in the rearview mirror now. It's passed away. All things have become 
new. How good is that? And people are longing for that. You know how many people are dissatisfied and just feeling stuck? We get to tell them that God can change all of that. Not by a, a, a new phone, a new car, a new nose, not those things, but by a new you, a new life, a fresh start in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to him, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Check this out here. Not only are we given a message, but we are given a ministry. Every single one of us. That's important because uh, of sin, man was separated from God. We all know that. But not everybody does know that. There are people that think, well, you know, in that end day, everything's just going to work out. God's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. I'm just going to live my life. And in that end day, it'll all just work out. They need to understand that, no, you need to be reconciled to God because your sin has separated you from him. And yet, God has done this incredible work of reconciliation. Not only has he done an incredible work of reconciliation, but he's called us now to be ministers of reconciliation. Do you know that when you gave your life to Jesus, you were brought into full-time ministry? Do you think of yourself that way? Full-time ministry is not reserved just for those that are up on the stage or playing an instrument or on the mission field. We sometimes get by on that. We think, ah, that's for those people to do. Not me, man. I'm just, a, I'm just a lay person. I got a job. I don't have time for ministry. No, you are in full-time ministry because you have been reconciled to God and now you've been called to be ministers of reconciliation. You have a word of reconciliation, it says right there at the end of verse 19. It's our job to go about and share with a lost world the fact that Jesus came to bring them into relationship with our creator, with our God. That we need to be reconciled and the work's been done. Most people aren't gonna be right with God by being a good person, doing good things. It's through faith in Jesus, repenting of sin and being reconciled. We have a calling to proclaim this word of reconciliation on every single one of us. And what a blessing life becomes, guys. When we begin to look at our our workplaces, our schools, our homes, our coffee shops, as our personal mission field, our little place of ministry. Do we, do we go into these places with eyes open for that to say, all right, I'm not just going to punch in my, my time card and, and, and serve at this job or, or you know, fulfill my hours or I'm not just going to this coffee shop to sit in a corner and hide here. I'm going in with wise, uh, eyes open wide to say, Lord, how can I be used of you today? How can I just shine forth the, the love of God? How can I present the gospel in this situation and with this person around me? Every place that we go, we can look at that as, man, that's my place of ministry. That's my mission field right there. And life becomes a great blessing when we look at things that way. Life becomes that adventure as we begin to look at every day, every place we're going, everything that we're doing as opportunity to be ministers of reconciliation. That's what our lives should be all about. Lastly, Paul points out our great mission here. Look at verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
So this is cool. This is a great title, Ambassadors for Christ. That's a pretty big deal. This, this becomes a real honor now for us. This is a title I don't think is just reserved for Paul. This is what he's saying. Man, this is what we get to do as believers. We get to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, in this day, of course, Rome was the world power, right? And they tended to take over as much real estate as they could. So they'd, when they'd occupy a city, well, they would have these provinces that they would, they would make these, these Roman provinces out of these defeated cities or captured cities. And there were two kinds of provinces. There were senatorial provinces and there were imperial provinces. Senatorial provinces were made up of people that were pretty submissive to Rome. They weren't causing any trouble. They were saying, yep, we know you guys are the boss, so we're just going to really yield to you. They were pretty peaceful places. But the imperial provinces, these are places made up of people that were not really too keen about Rome being over them. They were, they were kind of rebellious. They were ready to just kind of go and, and, and launch out a, a rebellion against Rome. And so what Rome would do is they would send these ambassadors to that place where they would keep the peace and apply Roman law. They were these representatives of Rome and of Rome's leader. And they would speak what they were told to speak. That's what an ambassador essentially does today. They're people that are representing their country, their leader, and they're doing so in a foreign place. Doesn't that quite accurately describe us today? I mean, this is not our home, right? Guys, we got to understand that. This is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. But we're not just pilgrims. We're ambassadors for Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, so we're in a foreign land right now, but we're here with a purpose, and that is to represent Jesus to be ministers of reconciliation. That's what we are called to do as ambassadors. This is a great thing that we get to take part in, to share with people God's plan of salvation. Listen, guys, we've been saved to show, redeemed to reveal. We've been delivered so that we can deliver the goods, the gospel. Ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ. Now listen, this message is not meant to bring a heavy upon you. This is not so that you walk away feeling so lame and guilty because, man, I've not been living up to this. This is not my point, my heart in all this as well. Like I said, man, this is as much for me as I go through this to say, yeah, Lord, keep just driving this into my own heart. Keep letting there be that shift in my own mind and how I'm living my life and what I'm doing, what my focus is. This is as much for me as anybody. And I'm not meant to, to come and lay a heavy on and have everybody walk in a oh, great conference, refresh, <laughs> No, this is meant to be an encouragement to say, man, this is a great privilege that we have to come and realize, man, that God loves us. He saved us, but he saved us with a purpose to reflect him, to represent him, to be ambassadors of him. Don't beat yourself up. Let's say, man, Lord, use me in these things. Help me. Understand what, and, and I love this in, in Hebrews 4. And this is just, I'm, gonna, I'm closing with this. I'm sorry for going so long here, guys. But Hebrews 4, verse 14, says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I read that to say this. Don't, don't beat yourself up if you feel like, man, I've just been inadequate in this. Man, I've really been struggling with this. Don't beat yourself up. Understand that we have a great high priest who understands our weaknesses, who's not berating you over these things, who's not trying to beat you up on these things. He's saying, man, come. 
Just come to the throne of grace by which you're going to find help in time of need. Let us keep running to that throne of grace where we understand the great grace that has impacted our lives so we can continue to be ministers of that grace, be ministers of that reconciliation. Let's run to the Lord to find help that we need. And again, he's not left us as orphans. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us, to enable us. Don't do this on your own. Don't rely upon yourself. Let's keep being fed, poured into by the Holy Spirit that equips us and enables us to live this life for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for oh, just our time together this morning. And Lord, for just the reminders that we've been given here in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've not only saved us, but you saved us with a purpose to be ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation. You've given us the word of reconciliation. We've experienced it ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us a, a, a burden for the lost around us and an urgency to see that and time is short, and we want to see others come and receive that reconciliation before God to find life in you. So, Lord, just continue to stir our hearts here. Pour your spirit into us and equip us and enable us and empower us to be witnesses of you in all that we do. So we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.